A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. This is part two of our special edition of the podcast where I'm sharing highlights from our first ever conference, The Chemical Summit. If you're new here, you're going to want to catch up on the many great episodes and interviews that we've shared on The Chemical Show, so please follow and subscribe to The Chemical Show on your favorite podcast player. The Chemical Summit was a two-day event held on October 24th and 25th. The focus of the summit is thought leadership, building connections, and gaining insights. It featured a format a little bit different than other conferences, really building engagement and dialogue, not just on stage, but also in the room with the attendees. We featured leaders from across the chemical industry talking on some key topics, business transformation, sustainability and ESG, economics, digitization and AI, and customer value. Day two of the Chemical Summit focused on four things, global economics and geopolitics, supply chain, digitization and AI, and customer value. From these discussions, four themes emerged that I'm going to be highlighting today. The first is economics, and really the expectation to expect a mild recession in North America, a different version of recession and economics around the globe, and that opportunities still exist, and they totally exist if you focus on creating customer value. The second key theme that emerged was around this long-term labor shortage, which will be resolved through immigration and automation, as well as through digitization and AI. The third key theme is the critical importance of data, how we use it, how we create it, how we digitize and enable it. And finally, and maybe most importantly, the fourth theme is the importance of being attuned and aligned to your customer and your customer's customer. And this is really around customer value and true customer centricity. Let's start with the mild recession. We had lots of great analysis and insights from Jeremy Bess of ITR Economics. When we distill it down, he distilled it down for us, that there's a recognition of a mild recession in 2024, not like the recession we might have experienced in 2007, 2008, and into 2009. And obviously, as all things economics and recession-related might go, it hits different industries differently. And therefore, depending on the part of the chemical industry that you are in and the customers that you're serving, it's going to manifest differently ultimately with an expectation that we should see a significant rebound in 2025. I'm going to share some highlights from what Jeremy Best said here. Let's start as broad as I can and you think about the production for chemical and chemical products. 
I mean, this is so broad. And by definition, it's basically saying that anything that you can transform chemically is in this. Okay, great. Basically, the government just lumps everything together. But there's interesting points that we want to make out. We expect a recession here. This is a broad level, right? We looked at the industrial side of the economy. The demand factors would suggest downside pressure. This is not the Great Recession. And I want to point out that the 12-month moving average, which you think about more of like your, your long-term sales figure, this isn't a complete drop-off of the gains that we had over the last couple years with that big spike in from COVID. Now, a lot of you might be looking at those, that bottom line, the squiggly lines there, saying, well, geez, there's been this downward trend. Yes, this is U.S. chemical production. What have we been doing over the last couple years? Well, decades. We've been offshoring that, right? We've been doing that overseas. And that's starting to come back. So another reason to support why this particular market is well insulated. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel a recession, but it's somewhat insulated by a lot of that manufacturing coming back to the US. So let's drill in even more. Think about plastics. Well, interesting note here, it's already in a recession. Year over year growth rates are negative. The 312 rate of change is negative, and it's more negative than the 1212 rate of change, signaling to us a bit more downside pressure. But as you can see, unlike the general economy, we expect a recovery starting in 2024. Unfortunately, though, we won't reach those higher highs that we were dealing with over the last couple of years in the plastics field all the way through our forecast that we have basically towards the end of 2026. So again, context is key there. It is a mild-ish recession, but the rebound that we expect isn't quite there. And we can't talk about economics without talking about labor, because labor is such a critical factor when we look at the general economic conditions. And not surprisingly, and we've heard this elsewhere, we're seeing a labor shortage. And in fact, we're expecting to continue to see a labor shortage, which is ultimately only going to be addressed by two factors. Number one, immigration, and number two, automation. Here's Jeremy again. We are bringing jobs and manufacturing back to the US, which by the way, is one of the reasons to support a mild recession. Downside though, that means we're competing with labor that we do not have. We've had a tight labor market for the last few years. So I look at that and I say, well, great. That helps our general economy grow, or at least we're bringing back some jobs which will prevent us from a deep recession. But if anyone's had trouble hiring over the last couple of years, specifically the, the kind of more blue collar jobs, guess what? That's gonna continue to be a problem. And quite honestly, automation is gonna be the only real thing that can help that. This talk about labor and automation also ties into some of the discussion that we had around the need for better and more data analysis, and data scientists to support the chemical industry's use of data for digitization, better collaboration, etc. In point of fact, Greg Fashin of Milliken made a great point that given the labor shortage and the demand of data scientists that are going to high tech instead of industries like energy and chemicals, that chemical companies actually need to be spending time and effort upskilling existing resources to fill that gap. Here's Greg. My advice is starting with the talent, really. One of the challenges we have is the data skill set has predominantly been owned by the tech industry. The data scientists, the software engineers, the data engineers, they all work in tech today. So it's really hard to grab those people away and come in and work for your teams to make your company digitalized. 
Where I would like to see Millican go is we already have chemical engineers and they're already ingrained in the culture and they're very intelligent people. And I think the solution is not necessarily going out and recruiting this skill set in the tech industry or maybe even from college, but taking your existing workforce and training them up, um, retooling their ability to build these things. I have my master's in computer science and I got it at Georgia Tech and, while it was working and the total, total price tag was $10,000. So you can become a machine learning engineer, data scientist, a software engineer with a master's for that amount. So the way I see us solving this is by taking our existing talent pool and then upskilling them, giving them the opportunity, right? We have this, keep talking about labor getting shorter and shorter, you need to keep the people you have. And one great way to do that is teach them how to do this, pay for a $10,000 degree that gives them the skill set. They're already ingrained in the culture. They have the domain expertise. They're chemical engineers or chemists. They already know your business. And now they have this data skill. I think that's the option that a lot of people don't think about. Take the people you've got and teach them how to do it. Another key theme that came through in the conference is data. Data plays a critical role in our businesses, whether it be in supporting supply chain and collaboration, aligning data to support our customers, or supporting innovation. Pam Walker of UL Solutions discussed how data plays a critical role in business transformation and in differentiating businesses to their customers and their suppliers. Here's Pam. We're seeing an interesting transformation in that data is a differentiating factor, which I believe Walter said earlier when he was talking in the supply chain panel. And data is a differentiator for suppliers. It's really interesting because we're finding our OEMs and our CPG uh, customers need a lot more data. It used to be tensile strength, check it off. That's great, let's use it. And now it's what's my carbon footprint, what's all all these different um, facets that they now need. And so their challenge is, how do I get this data in a usable format? Because it, it is also dispersed everywhere. And then when we talk about distributors, they're, they're right in the middle. And distributors, I used to work for a chemical distributor, they're becoming more and more supplier-like. Yet, they have thousands of suppliers to get that data for in order to service their customers and find alternatives and find sustainable solutions for them. The key thing here is the connectivity across the value chain of digitization, and it's not these individual solutions for each persona, it's how the personas are connected, really. In speaking about connectivity, Walter Sanchez from CPChem made a great point about how critical data transparency is to effective collaboration, and that only through collaboration can we really create efficient supply chains. And efficiency, in many ways, is the name of the game, right? Because that allows us to be more effective and more profitable, and as we talked about on day one of the summit, more sustainable. Here's what Walter had to say. Data is a very powerful thing that we all have, but we're very possessive and defensive with who we share it with. But I would propose to you that data can also allow us to make better decisions. The more of that data that we share with our partners, the better insights they have into how they schedule their labor, how they schedule, imagine a class one. I'll give you an example of our largest production facility makes almost 70 rail cars a day. There are days that the railroad has to make a decision because there's only one crew. If I give them a forecast every single day and it's accurate, 
and one of my competitors is not doing that, I have a better chance that the dispatcher that night at 2 o'clock in the morning will assign that crew to my plan versus my competitors. So there's a lot of good things that happen when you share the forecast. We closed out the chemical summit with a speaker and a panel on customer value. A few points that came out from those discussions, number one, doing the basics right. And these are often the items that customers point to, such as product, pricing, and invoicing. Those are really baseline requirements. They're not enough. You need to find the elements that your customers see as differentiators to really make a difference. Kevin Huntsman from Mastio shared insights from customer value studies, and here's what Kevin had to say about that. You get a lot of disagreement within companies as to really what they think is important, but it doesn't matter what they think. It matters what the customer thinks and what the customer uses as, its, as their criteria to decide who they want to do business with. The stated customer needs and think about this is what people tell us. This is what they tell us is important. If you only do what people tell you to go do or what's important to them, you'll probably end up chasing your tail because people will focus on the product, the price, and the other factors. When you think about those baseline requirements, we see lot to lot consistency. Resin quality, resin processability, the invoices are right, the accurate and on-time delivery, you're honest and trustworthy. Baseline requirements? Basic blocking and tackling is really what they are. And what's interesting too, friends, is that doesn't vary. If I'm doing a study in polypropylene or if I'm doing something for NAO or if I'm doing something for BP on the natural gas liquid side, it's almost always the same. Those attributes right there are the baseline requirements. I always try to tell people it's not that they're not important. It's just that being at parity is good enough. I call them defection factors because if I continuously struggle with invoices and on-time delivery, my customers are going to defect. Now, maybe a little bit, it could be that death by a thousand cuts type thing. You don't realize it until it's happened. But those are factors that when there is a significant gap in your performance versus competition, it will push customers away. And when we think about the conscious differentiators, these are the ones I like. I had a client the other day in a trucking business said these are our North Star attributes is what he called them. Because these are the attributes we point towards every day that we work on because we know we do the stuff on the left well enough. The things on the right are what's going to help us grow our business. The final panel of the day talked about customer centricity and what that means to chemical companies, many of whom are still very early on this journey towards greater customer centricity. And two things came out as a big focus when we started talking about customer centricity. Number one, it is a cultural change. It is a cultural change that stems not just in our traditional customer-facing roles, but really across the company. And the second thing is really getting deeper and a greater understanding with your customer's customer, truly understanding what's important to the value chain, not just one level away, but several levels away. Here's Dario from Lionel Bissell talking about what customer centricity means to him and his team. and how we try to drive uh, my organization with the Lionel Basel is really about uh, taking the voice of the customer, the lens, the customer view into our decision making. And I think there are two really important aspects. One is the long-term one, that is, if you think about it, a bit easier, right? Because it's about planning, it's about uh, the strategic aspect. But the tricky one is the day-to-day. -day. So the execution, making the right decision 
but taking account, of course, the long-term partnership value of your customers, right? I think this is where, I think for our industry that has been really, we discussed in the last few days, about run by operational excellence, continuous improvement, especially in the manufacturing and supply chain area. We're bringing this aspect about customers where you start is a big cultural change. This is what we see at least in, in our organization and I've seen also in our peers. That's really the challenge. And the other very important aspect that actually it didn't really come up so much in the last two days, even though we talk about customers and value chain. For me, the customer are not anymore only my direct customers. So I think this is the other very important change. The reality is that now, if you want to be really centric for the next three, five years and understand what they will need, I need to go downstream. I need to know much more. I need to know really what my consumer, so us, trends will go in the next three, five years. And that's a wrap. Two great days of the first Chemical Summit, full of discussions, connections, and insights on business transformation, ESG, economics, supply chain, digitization, and customers. As one attendee said, this is everything that's going on in the chemical industry all in one conference. It was great. We are making plans for the next Chemical Summit in 2024 to be held on October 8th and 9th in the Woodlands, Texas. Follow us on LinkedIn to stay up to date on next year's summit and other events that will be coming to you soon. Thanks for joining us again today on The Chemical Show. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing, and we will talk with you again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.